Hello and welcome to a spontaneous replay episode. Uh, due to stuff we weren't able to record this week, so I'm throwing up an old episode from about three years ago, maybe a little more. Uh, this is back when Josh was a regular part of the show. If you remember a couple episodes ago, Josh and I did an episode from the cruise. This is that same Josh. Uh, this is episode 101, the first episode that we started calling On Topic. So there's a bit of an explainer there, but honestly, much of the explainer is uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. I was talking about multiple feeds and mega feeds and all of that, and essentially the feed you listen to this on is the feed that everything ended up being posted on. So, um, But yeah, anyway, so just ignore the first minute or so. This episode was supposed to be, uh, well, well, the one we're supposed to do in the present, was supposed to be on Roland Rides. We'll do that next week. But the episode you're about to listen to was on Eurogames. It was one of the first episodes we did on talking about like classifications of games. So next week, we'll talk about Roland Rides. This week, we'll talk about what we thought Eurogames were three years ago. Uh, enjoy! And welcome to Tabletop Game Talk On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Josh. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about Euro games. Not all of them, but a couple that we've played recently, and most importantly, about what sets them apart from other games. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Emil Jiljam, George Gia, Adam Harrison, Corey Bell, and the SGC. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Wow, I've not heard you do that sort of scripted piece before, Chris. I don't do anything scripted. I'm like, I have to read the words that are on the page for I myself. Know. It's just, you know, it's weird to hear you with a sort of almost like a newscaster voice that I do. Well, I can I could do the whole episode like that. No, I really can't. <laughs> no, please don't. No, I'd start I'd start hacking up along. It's terrible. I wonder so, if that means we're gonna get a higher quality of written text now that he actually has to read what oh, he writes. That's no, true. Probably not. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. <laughs> so this is episode one hundred and one, if you're counting in the tabletop game talk series. However, this is truly a new on topic section. It's in its own feed. It's in its own thing. So if you are coming back from the future, and it has to be back from the future, because if you're (laughs) listening to it in the present, you're listening to it on the same feed it's always been. But if you're coming back from the future and you're like, wait a minute, why is this labeled 101? Where are the other one to a hundred episodes? Or you can go to zero to a hundred episodes. Those are at the tabletop game talk mega feed. Studio feed? It's called a studio feed. I like that. It sounds classy. Yeah. So you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com and you will see all of our content. But for our topics, this is the feed you want to be in. If you are listening in real time, this feed will exist in the very, very near future. Apple's a little finicky and I can't log into the Tabletop Game Talk account without, I I Googled it, I have to log into a device with that account first so I can verify that the account's valid (laughs) because otherwise it's a big mess. But anyway, so that's what that is. Um, Also, after saying all of that, we are adjusting the format of things. So news and announcements, the stuff I'm just doing now, will typically come at the end, but not for the first couple episodes because it's kind of important to explain what we are i have a question if you come back from the future is your name can you get to be called calvin klein and will your mom be the same age as you um no okay but because movies told me that that was what yeah no um it's written in your underwear it is right 
Of course. That's why I'm called Calvin <laughs> Klein. We're going to have to do... So what we'll do is... I think I actually have my Calvin Klein's on right now. Yeah. At some point, maybe 20 episodes from now, we'll do a Back to the Future episode, and then we'll... We'll make this. We'll all make all sense. these terrible jokes then as well. And if you have no idea what Josh is talking about, a shame on you. B go watch <laughs> Back to the Future. <laughs> all right, so we have a topic. We do. What was this topic again? Euro games. I think this is a great topic to start out a topic episode about games. You know, or do a hundred. But why, episodes. Chris? Why? Well, why because, is Euro games so cool and important and interesting? Well, because you know everyone loves Euro games, or everyone hates Euro games, or you hear the term Euro games all the time, and we use the game, the term Euro games all the time. But really, what is that? Why does why? it matter? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a layman. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and that is your role. Yes. <laughs> You're doing a great nailed job. it. Oh, uh, but I think that. Again, this is not a definition show. We've had a few bits of feedback saying, hey, I already know all the definitions. You don't need to talk about definitions. And we we try not to. But we do also want to give a little bit of... uh, Context. Context. So when we say something, you know what we're talking about versus just keeping using the word over and over and over. Because in gaming, it seems like the definitions of words mean something different person to person a lot of times. They also seem to carry with them a lot of connotations. Like Euro games, I think, kind of gets like a snooty, like, oh, I like to play Euro games. Or people look down on us like Euro games, those themeless pieces of spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to dispel all the myths and talk about really what is a Euro game in, in its main components. Why would you might like a game? Why would you might like And our it? thoughts and feelings on it, you know? It's not just going to be about the definitions. It's going to be about our experiences. Yeah, I don't think you can have any feelings about Euro <sighs> games. They're they're themeless, remember? so many feelings, Chris. We just covered this. So many Theme feelings. Theme doesn't mean feeling. <laughs> oh, then, all right. So, <laughs> hmm. Hmm. what is a Euro game in general? Like, just... The, the big bullet point. Layman understanding here, uh, chiming in. I uh, always thought of it as just like you have a points track around the outside. And that was fine for me. That was just, there's a points track around the outside. It's a Euro game. That was my understanding. And tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you're not necessarily wrong. Right. Lots of Euro games have point tracks around the outside. Yes, I'm correct. Yeah. 100% right. Lots of non-Euro games do too. Oh. So. Okay. <laughs> but there's a certain friendliness to Euro games that I think... It does actually come out. It's it's more of a pure competitive, almost kind of a race type of thing. Right. So we've talked about this in previous episodes, I think, in our episode about gaming classifications. Essentially, the history of the Euro game, which started kind of in Germany right after World War II, where it's like lots of conflict. Let's make games that aren't actually just fighting <gasps> each other. I had no idea it was German guilt that gave us the Euro game. Yeah, German <laughs> guilt. So what happened was, there's like, well, let's make a game that we can all play. There's no elimination. We all get to play all the end, and then we'll tally up our scores, which is where you're. No one is going to take over the world. Nobody's going to take over the world. Not this time. That's only in America where we play Risk. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So that's a key element to to Euro games, I think. And and I'm just kind of boiling it down. And the reason we're not defining Euro games, what I'm saying is, you may like Euro games if you like these elements of games. Because... We have gotten to a point in the world, in the gaming world anyway, where there's really a huge scale of Euro game to what can be referred to as a Marathrash games. Right. Um, I, I'm not really worried about where things fall on that scale, but if certain elements of, if someone says Euro game, you can be assured that these elements are probably there. Number one, no player elimination. 
Okay. So you just, you get to play with everybody until you're done. Doesn't mean you're going to be doing great all the time. It just means you're not going to get kicked out well, of the game. Well, you might not even know if you're doing good or not, because sometimes in a Euro game, you don't know. You just don't know how well you're doing. That is true. So another thing is deterministic actions. So basically, you know what you're doing is going to do exactly what you want it to do. And is this another sort of, uh, you know, German psyche sort of thing where they were like, we don't want the Nazis to tell us what to do? I'm actually not sure where this came from. So we talked about input-output randomness before. Yeah. I don't know if the Germans were pro-output randomness before the war or after, mm-hmm. we should probably get a different podcast involved in this. Right? We need a history podcast to <laughs> let us know about this one. But um, the next thing that makes a Euro game a Euro game to me is variable board setup. That every time you play it, something is different. Either there are tiles that you lay out to make the board, there are cards that make up a tableau somewhere, something is different. And that is random every time. Yeah. Because you have the in- you have to have some kind of randomness. So instead of having, I take this action, I'm going to roll to see if it succeeds or not. It's here's this setup. Here's this scenario. It's not really a scenario, but the puzzle. A lot of people refer yeah. to them like it's kind of a puzzly thing. What do you do based on what you have in front of you? Yeah. And this stops it from being a solvable game. Right. So it's not like chess where everything's the same setup all the time. Yes. So and another, I think, cornerstone of Euro games, and this kind of does go back to the whole friendly type of gaming, is there's very little, if any, take that style of player interaction. Well, again, the Germans, they don't want that anymore. They don't. They've had enough of that era. They have. You are really, really all about the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> really? You just introduced it to me. and I'm He made like, this realization. He's like, I have to explore this. Now all of it makes sense. You were just Googling World War II in German. <laughs> what happened right after? <laughs> it's becoming a sociology podcast. <laughs> but it, but seriously, though, the take that nature of, of like war games, right? So if you're doing territory control, yeah. you're it's constantly struggling. That Poland, over it belongs to me now. Exactly. Yeah. I can affect your, you know, to talk gamery, your board state, what you have in front of you, how many points you have, what you what mm. you've earned. I have a way of affecting that in a take that kind of style game. Right. But in a game, a typical Euro game, once you've earned something, that's yours for, for keeps forever. Okay. I can stop you from getting something because I might take it first, but I can't right. take it from you afterwards. Gotcha. There are some exceptions. There always are. Um, the next thing is that it is usually limited by turns or there is an end of game trigger because it's non-elimination you have to find some other way to end the game at some point. Right. And the turn-based ones are, I think, they're interesting because you can kind of see that come up. And it's like, here it comes, here it comes. And even the trigger-based ones, it's like, okay, you're going along. I think I'm going to be able to do everything. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm running out of time because Josh does, just did something and we all just get one more turn or something. Sydney always does it. It's always Sydney. She has always, oh, I bought all the cards. Or, oh, look, I bought all the teepees or whatever it is. It's always Sydney's done it. And then we're all like, ah, 
have to finish my game now. Which is actually kind of a smart strategy in a lot of cases. It is. Because what happens is if you rush that end of game, that is a tactic where it's like, I'm in a good spot right now. I want to end it before anyone else can get their strategies off. She also does a very good job of that's the strategy she builds is usually the thing that triggers the end of game also gains you points. So if you focus on that's how I'm going to gain my points, everyone else is forced to speed up theirs. And that doesn't always work well along different kinds of engines that you could build. Yep. And in her defense, I think it was me and Chris that ended the last one by buying all the cards up in Concordia. Yeah, but she got us really, really close. She did. And then we did, took the last one. Yeah, you guys fought over the last one, but she had like a stack there <laughs> of oh, cards. Yeah. I don't know if you remember end of game scoring. She had like she had a lot of cards. 10 more cards than the next closest person. Yeah, and we will talk all about Concordia. We Later. actually have a number of games that we're going to talk about in this in, in relation to this. First, we'll finish our general. No, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, only Sorry, have, I, I only have one more thing, which is actually kind of interesting to me because the, there's this pro... I, I kind of made this pro-con list, and I'm putting this in the pro list, but the rules for Euro games tend to be pretty streamlined. There's, here are the actions you can do, and go ahead, go do it. Now, the board itself can be very complicated. Like, the actions that... Like a lot of the rules will be on the board. So any any game that has like the cards and the different cards are telling you what you can do and then they'll introduce new cards and stuff. But in general, it's like, okay, on your turn, you're going to you know perform an action. Maybe you're allowed to do more than one action, one or two, whatever you want. Maybe you're going to get some resources or some money at the end and there might be some scoring rounds. But it's for the a lot of the euro games we played this rule book is somewhere between four and eight pages long yeah yep. it sounds like german efficiency to me and i, I appreciate <laughs> you that. were just waiting I, weren't you i was just waiting for my turn to speak but in in actual seriousness like i appreciate that because as an analysis paralysis type person you know, in that last game, I felt like it was easy for me to make choices because I had a few simple ones in front of me and I just went ahead and did them. That's great. Yeah. However, on the con list, it can be impossible to make choices because mm. the games can be very complex and have very abstract strategies. That's true. Where, sure, you know, you're not sure which is the best choice, but you might have like Mm, there's like 40 choices available to me on my turn and I have no idea, especially the first time you play them. Yeah. You you need a little bit of a guide. And I think a lot of the games do a good job of kind of mitigating this by we'll do a first round scoring or here's some starting places where we put everyone in the same kind of strategy. Your first move is always going to be uh, this kind of move, that kind of thing. But it can be really taxing to make all the decisions yep. in a game and yeah and just really you're starting out as like oh i can take an action i can move something or i can put it on a space and i was just like fine that's that's an easy rule yep but there's 50 of them i can do and it's usually not quite that much but it feels like that it much. Does. yeah i yeah. can often get a little bit bamboozled Towards the end of those games, I think towards the, the middle of the game is fine, but then it's like as you get more, you know, you're spread out across the board, there's more you can do, you have more cards, yeah, then it gets tricky. Yep. Well, then you start getting into the an- analysis part of it, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, we're getting closer to the end, every move matters right now, right. and they can get really, really thinky, because they do tend to come off, they being Euro games, you know, 
if you're more on the Euro game spectrum, um, they do kind of come off as their puzzles. And, right. and that's what people who like these games really like is how do I optimize the puzzle that's in front of me right now? Right. So I think the last thing that I'm, we will talk about before we get into, you know, more general specific or more specifics about games is Euro games tend to get a bad rap around theme. Um, I hear the term trading in the Mediterranean quite a lot when it comes to Euro games, because a lot of Euro games use that kind of thing. Now, Corey actually has one of my favorite comments on this particular thing. He says, to me, the most charming thing about Euros are the diversity of weird, unlikely, and otherwise dry themes. Do I want to be a farmer? No, but I'll play Agricola. A venture? No. Actually, I do kind of actually. Right? Yeah, it sounds but, like fun. <laughs> Moving to California. If you want to make wine, play Viticulture. Power Grid? So often, Euros take inspiration from duelists of drudgery. The dullest of drudgery. The dullest of drudgery. Okay, fine. <laughs> dueling drudgery. The dullest of drudgery and squeeze crunchy, interesting gameplay out of its nuances. I find it delightful. And auctions. I'm a sucker for auctions. I hate auctions. <laughs> now, the way Euro games tend to do auctions, it's not the um, crazy American bid, bid, bid. It's more either like a blind bid or you're going to you know, put a number of coins on there that says this is my turn to bid this and someone I might can't remember the last game I played with an auction because you didn't play power grid with us I didn't oh, I right. didn't like it <laughs> we'll talk. spoiler yeah so Chris also has some interesting things to say about Euro games too he says his wife and I, I should not try I'll, to I'm gonna yeah read you read it as my wife and I have gotten more into the hobby in the last couple of years we're finding that Euro games are one of our favorite categories for us, the strategic play is very engaging, and the fact that the and the fact that mostly these don't involve a lot of take that interaction or direct conflict keeps the peace between us. Yeah, he continues. A lot of times, learning these systems can be initial hurdle, especially if you haven't played many of these games already. A lot of these have multiple simultaneous tracks that can be a, a lot to manage, and often you have to realize that not all of your plans are going to bear fruit before the end of the game it's really satisfying when they do but for a newbie it can be daunting yes i think that's one of the hardest things <laughs> when playing a first actually both hard and the thing that wants you to come back is like all right i have this strategy it's going to be amazing it's great it's great it's great josh just ended the game i didn't get to do my strategy let's play again yes um then but also it's really frustrating if you play three times in a row and Josh keeps ending your strategy. And that's why you have to play with a variety of people. I think I feel like playing these games over and over with the same group, you do kind of fall into the same roles of like, this is my favorite strategy. This is their favorite strategy. And it's just who gets the right cards or what comes up in the right order. Who's going to win this time? Yeah. And there, part of it is that variable setup of the board as well. So depending on how much the board changes, you may have to switch up your strategy it's from true. the very beginning. So, you know, tariff- the, the better games make you change your strategy for the setup rather than give you the option of these are all the strategies and you're just going to encounter kind of roadblocks along the way. Yeah. I often find them a bit bamboozling in the sense that. It's not clear to me uh, often what the strategy is. And, and maybe that's because we're always playing new Euro games. But I'm there and I'm looking at all these options. And like, 
you know, you have to pick a strategy and you, and that should help you and you should do that. And I just always never want to, I always want to try and do everything. And also I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know what's the best strategy. And it's really hard for me to choose and work out what's the better strategy. So I just often find myself bamboozled by Euro games. I feel like things always being hidden from me and I'm like trying to like work out on my head. And it's like, it's not clear if it was just photosynthesis, I could see everything on the board and it would all be simple, (laughs) but it's not photosynthesis and there's too much going on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Concordia, because that's the one we've most recently played. Yes. And I've just learned how to say it, I think. It's not Cornucopia. It's not Cornucopia. I did say that last week. (laughs) This is true. You both did. Oh, that's good. Well, we never played Cornucopia. We might have. (laughs) We should create it if it doesn't exist. Yeah. But if you want to play Concordia, this game has basically all of these elements that we're talking about right now. So if you haven't played it before, essentially, this is trading in the Mediterranean. You are going to set up a bunch of cities, and those cities produce goods. And the cities are just little tiles that you randomly put on the board. And you're going to flip them over, and then at the beginning of the board, you're going to know which city produces what. And I think there was brick and silk. Silk, food, wine, and tools. And tools. So, and then what what you're going to do there is you're going to try to get as many points as you can. You're going to do that by a little bit of hand management. So, everybody has the same hand in front of them, and there's a number of actions that these cards are your actions, which is what makes the game really simple to learn. Because it's like, okay, this is what each card does, and now you start the game. You're going to play a card, you're going to do what that card says, and then the next person is going to play a card. So, the idea here is all of these cards, though, have a little scoring icon on the bottom or scoring, like it's a scoring god to give it a little bit of theme. And it gives you a number of points. So, you might get two points per, you know, colonist that you have on the board. You might get a point per resource or no, every 10 money worth of resources and money you have, you get a point. But if you have four of those cards that all add that up, then you're going to get four points per whatever thing. So there are cards on the board that you can purchase and that's one of your cards to play it allows you to purchase more cards. And what I didn't do this time and I I'm, I'm totally going to blame the baby. Little player 3 was being quite a distraction. <laughs> so I wasn't and I was on the opposite side of the board and I didn't it was hard for me to read them and every time I tried to read them somebody would be like, "Oh, Kitty's going to get cards." So then they'd block me and take the cards that I wanted or the best cards, cheapest cards, whatever it was. And I just kind of got frustrated with it and gave up on that strategy. But normally what I try to do is let those guide my actions. So I can look and be like, oh, there's a couple cards up there where I'm going to get extra points if I have bricks. So I'm going to get that card and another card, and then I'm going to focus on getting to all the brick cities and I'm going to build all the bricks. That didn't work out for me because I thought there would be more of those coming up and I could get different ones. And there was just no way to kind of compound that. And I didn't get enough cards. So... But the cards do have, that is, does kind of drive it. And it's not even it the actions of the cards, it's the scoring elements of exactly. the cards. But they usually go hand in hand. The action goes with the score so that the card that gives you points for having bricks also helps you to trade so you can get more bricks right. or something along those lines. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was interesting was this game, like a lot of Euro games, it, the scoring is kind of complicated to the point where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yes. So this game has this mechanic where you're going to play, there's one card in your hand 
So once you play a card, it stays on the table and you don't get to use it again. It's a deck. It goes into a discard pile until you play a card that allows you to take it all back, which is the, I, I say tribune, but is it tribute or tribune? Tribune. The tribune card. So you, and then you bring everything back into your hand. The way that they, the beginner game for this, and actually kind of a cool way, you could do this in every game, but you don't need to after the first one. After everybody's played that card, you pause the game and you do an end of game scoring. So what you do is you go through all of the different cards that you have in your hand. You're going to calculate it. You're going to multiply the points for each type with base what's on the board. And you're going to get, you're going to score points for that. You then do a little mini who won that, and the first place gets two money, and the second place gets one money, and then everyone resets their scores. And all this is for is, we're like, hey, we know you just got about, you know, a fifth of the way through the game. You're probably really confused about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Let's do it real quick. This is what you're going to do at the end of the game. And now you know, so you can, oh, man, I need to get this strategy going or, like... I think it actually gave me a little bit of a false sense of security, though, because we were all pretty close to each other in points. And I was like, oh, I must not be doing that badly. So I just kind of kept doing what I was doing, plotting along. And then Sydney comes out of nowhere and like, "Ah!" (laughs) like she almost lapped me. Well, Josh, you were doing really good, too. I did okay. I came third. Yeah, you did a lot better than I did. I I was focusing on the cards more, and I think that helped. I think all three of us who did well were kind of had a lot of cards, and for that game, that really mattered. So I I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sydney's strategy. So my strategy was get all the cards that score colonists and just get all my colonists on the board. Right. So that was, you know, each card you got was worth two points. You could have up to six colonists on the board. So it was like. You really screwed me a couple of times (laughs) with that. I I wanted to get colonists and it was like, next go, I'm going to get the colonist. And then Chris would always get it just before me. And I'm like, oh, there was only one card with colonists on there out there. And Chris took it. Well, that's because I needed them. I needed them so much. You knew. You could see it in my eyes. You could see the lust for the colonist card. And you <laughs> well, were like, no, you won't have it. You took the last one. And when you took the last one, I'm like, oh, man, I really wanted that. Which that's ended true. up losing me the game. Yes. Because had you not taken, had you done anything else, I would have had another 12 points. Because Sydney wasn't actually trying to accomplish anything on the board. She was just trying to take as many cards. So even though she'd only done like, oh, I only have three of my colonists out, but each of them scores a bunch. And oh, I only have four cities, but I score them eight times each. Yeah, right. So it worked out for yeah. her. So she had moderately spread it spread it out, spread out on the board a little bit. <laughs> but where we were focused, like, I want to make sure I get all of this. And, you know, I want to get as many tool cities as I can because I get points for that. So I was kind of focusing on the boards and the cards. She's just like, you know something? These cards give me points. I'm just going to keep taking them and I'm going to have to play them. And when I play them, I'll just do whatever is optimal at the time. She ended up winning by two points. I love this game. It's a great game. So I want to talk about my favorite year. <laughs> Not I, Concordia? I, I liked Concordia. It wasn't my least favorite. I think it's co- Cornucopia. That's Cornucopia for you. <laughs> I loved Viticulture. Okay. I thought it was really fun. Number one, I wasn't holding the baby. I was able to focus on the game. So that's always a plus. Um, Number two, we played with the mamas and papas. I don't know if that's how you always play or is that an expansion? Yeah, we played Viticulture, the Essentials Edition, which adds a few expansions. So it's Viticulture plus a few expansions from the Tuscany. There's like a whole suite of little mini expansions in that box. So the Essentials Edition included the Mama and the Papas, um, some extra visitors, um, uh, the fields that you could sell and things like that. Why don't you tell us how you play the game first real quick, just so that... Okay. 
Um, I'm not even sure I can do a very good job, but basically you are trying to make wine. You can plant vines, you can harvest grapes, then you need to build cellars to store your wine in. You have visitors who are going to give you special one-time effects. Um, Am I forgetting something? It's played in two seasons. There's spring actions and there are fall actions. So in spring, you're planting and that kind of stuff. And in fall, you're harvesting and the kind of stuff that goes with that. So only minor corrections, which doesn't really matter. It's spring is when you're going to put your roosters on the board to determine the turn order. So the turn order matters. There's a whole year. That's right. And then summer. Summer, you're going to place your yellow actions. And then fall, you get to draw a visitor from either side. And then winter, you play your winter actions. Summer, you can you can plant and and winter, you can harvest. Yes. And the other type of card that you can use. So there's vine cars, there's uh, summer visitors, winter visitors, and then there's orders. And the orders are what really gets you the most points once you are fulfilling an order with your wine. When do you get to eat pizza? <laughs> um, you do that during the entire game. <laughs> So funny He's story. lying. No, no, no. Serious. Funny story. Um, I just played this game two days ago. Okay. Because, I, and we'll talk about it on our next episode. Right. I have a gaming group at work and we played this game. So I was like fresh uh, in my memory. That's why you remember the, the spring fall distinction. Because yeah. it, it does feel like there's basically two seasons, but they do split each one into kind of the this is how you take your actions in order kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and and another thing, so it sounds kind of boring. You know, I, I think that Corey was right when he's like, oh, well, that right sounds game. so exciting, harvesting grapes and putting them in cellars. But it's fascinating because I love it. you have little structures you can build, and building the structures will give you certain victory points. And you really, the game ends as soon as somebody gets 20 points. That's not a lot of points. No. That's true. And like an order fulfilled order can give you five or six points. So once you start filling orders, you the game ends pretty quick. So the mamas and the papas are basically a starter thing. So you're given a mama and a papa and they give you effects and you start with a certain amount of money and certain cards in your hands based on your mama and your papa. Yep. So I started with a couple orders in my hand and that really guided me in that game. And I realized you have to know what orders you're trying to fill before you start taking any actions. Because if you don't know what you're trying to do in this game, there's not really the like, oh, moving in any random direction will get you so far because it really is more focused. You really do need to kind of see where you're going to get the orders filled. Where if you make the wine and then start drawing orders, you're not going to end up with something you can fill necessarily. Potentially. You could, but it's not going to be your main focus. It's really very luck of the draw at that point where, oh, I might have all this sparkling wine, which is very um, desirable. But if you don't have an order that needs it, even though the sparkling wine orders are usually better orders, they give you more points. You're not going to get those if you don't have one in your hand. And this is what always gets me about, again, Eurogames. And I know I said it before, but it's like, it's hard for me to see the wood through the trees. It's kind of like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the objectives are. And I'm getting distracted and confused at every turn. If I get, play a game like chess, it's very simple. I just have to kill the king. And that's all I have to do. And there's some simple moves and that, that get me to there. But like with Eurogames, there's just so many things. There's so many things. And I just don't know where I'm headed. It's, it feels messy and, and like almost like hidden. Like, oh, my objectives are hidden. And I have to work it all out. I don't know. It's tricky. That's all I'm saying. 
I think that for you, and this is this is my fault. I was going to okay. say our fault, but it's not really Kitty's fault. She's not like, Never let's play fault. a new game all the Nothing's time. Nothing's my fault. No, ever. Yeah. <laughs> but it is my fault in these types of games are games that you really have to play more than once if you want to play the game knowing like how to win the game. Right. Yeah, that's very true. That first playthrough is always just kind of a discovery for these games. Yeah. And I do think Concordia did a great job at giving us this is how you win the game. I like that pre scoring thing. But that's not all games can do that. Right. So you just have to play more than once. Yeah. Like Viticulture, there's no way that you can do that. It does help that once somebody fills an order, you see how, like, the whole board watches how that works and you get the points and now you know. But it, it took us a while, I think, to fill an order. And by that time, it might be too late to kind of catch up. Yeah. Well, and also when I was, like, the, the game I just recently played, I was getting all the points that are on the board. Because there's lots of ways of getting of getting points. One of the ways, the biggest ones are filling orders. So I was way out ahead. I was, like, 10 points ahead of everybody else. And all of a sudden, a couple people started filling orders. And I did not have the order cards that went with the wine. This is exactly what you did when we played, too. I know, but it was so much fun both times. You I love putting out the buildings, and I'm sitting here looking at my buildings like, I don't need that windmill. Yeah, I really had to get Actually, that I windmill. do think I needed the windmill. I think that was like the only... I used the windmill, and I used the one, like a trellis, yeah, maybe? Yeah, the trellis. And I think those were the only ones I ever put out, and yeah. I was fine. I this and Josh, you did not play uh, Viticulture with us. I right? did. He did. Oh, did yes, you? Okay, did. there was one that you didn't play. He with didn't Power play Grid. Power Grid. Power Grid. Grid. Yeah. So, what did you think of Viticulture though? Like, the, yeah. there, Viticulture had great theme. Like, people complain yeah. about theme, and I thought the theme with this was amazing. Oh yeah, it was like real like Tuscan. I've actually been to a place like that. I had a job where they had a factory, a leather factory, in in Italy, and it was rolling hills and vineyards everywhere, and it was it looked like that board, and it was so pretty and everything. So yeah, no, I thought the theme was great, and uh, I enjoyed the game. Yeah, I just uh, had that sort of oh, what am I doing? Yeah, thing. Yeah, and I, I mean. I played it twice now, and the second time, I'm like, the same kind of feel. It's like, well, what is the best thing? Because I can go here, I can get one money. Is one money worth it? I don't know. Right. If I go here... So, what I did is I just went for the visitor cards, because the visitor cards have the biggest impact early on, but those don't necessarily get you the grapes to go to the wine, to go to the... Well, yeah. grapes to go to the crush the pad. Orders. Yeah. So, I don't know. I want to play this with Sydney because she did not play with us when we played. It was just the three of us. And I mm-hmm. feel like she's so good at this kind of game yep. that I might have won because she wasn't there. And yeah. I feel like I have to play her to know if I actually like it. Am I ready for the master of Euro games? <laughs> I will say that she told me she hated this game. Wow. Oh, then it probably is but, my styling. Like, I feel like we're... We're very similar, but we have subtle distinctions. But I think the reason is, is the very first version of this game, it's a worker placement game in general. So you're going to be yes. you're gonna be placing your workers on different spots so you can block people out. And if I need to plant a field and I, Josh plants a field and Kitty plants a field and I don't have, like, there's only two spaces to plant, right. I can't plant. And then my whole year is messed up, right? right? So in the first version of this, that's how it worked. In this version... There is now a grande worker, and that worker can go wherever, regardless of whether or not the spots are full. It completely changes everything about the feel of it, because you can only use them once total in a year, but it means that that action you really, really need, you don't get screwed. for that one thing, because you really can get totally messed up. And I 
think it worked really well. So I would like to play with her with yeah. the expansion or she, the classic edition, whatever it was we yeah. did. She didn't like it. That's it. But without or with the Grande work, I without. understand. She didn't like it without it because yeah. she felt like she didn't have control of her own destiny, I, much like the Germans in World War II. Exactly. Right. <laughs> oh, you're good at this. <laughs> I know. You still have the roosters, though, so you could still get a first turn, much sure. like the Germans in World War II. Right. Um, they did go first, yes. They did. Actually, that would have been Japan. Um, but know. anyway. No, I think, I think your history is very bad now. <laughs> My history is terrible. Anyway. All right. What is Oh, Power Grid. We should talk briefly about Power Grid, even though Josh didn't That's play fine. this. Tell me about it. Power Grid is, well... It's kind of like the, I, I think I've called it the monopoly of Euro games, but that's sort of Catan. So it, that it, sounds very derogatory in the gaming world. Well, in, in that it's so approachable. So this, ah. this huge box, you open it up, the board is like this really bubbly art. And it felt very gray to me. Well, it was gray bubbly art. I just, you should see Kitty's I'm, face right now. <laughs> she looks like she smells something really bad. I didn't enjoy this game. And I'm going to take a back seat for a little bit while Chris describes it because I don't want to. That's fine. All right. I'll do it very quickly. Okay. Essentially, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get as many powerhouses on the board as you can. Okay. Each city requires a certain amount of money to build on. And then you're going to be connecting to other cities and you can build on there. You want to activate your powers, power powerhouses. They call them houses. I'm going to call them powerhouses because they should be power plants. Power plants, yeah, right. But in any stations, case, stations. So you activate them by spending resources. So some, some of them you can activate because – actually, you don't activate the houses. You have cards that represent power plants. Okay. You can have a wind power plant. It just exists. It's going to generate power okay. because it has wind. You have coal, so you have to give it coal. You have nuclear. You have, I think there's one other kind, nuclear coal. Oil. Oil. Yes. Yes. So those, depending on those resources, different power plants will give you certain power levels. And you want to power all the houses that you've put out there. The more you power, the more money you get, the more money you can spend on resources on the next turn. Great. Everything's awesome. Right. You do not get points while you're playing the game. Okay. The game ends once you've gone through the third age of power plant types. Okay. At the end of that, so the game's over, at the end of the game, everyone has one final turn to activate all of their power plants, as many as they can. Whoever activates the most wins. Wow. It is, this is probably more spreadsheet than any other game okay. and there are a ton of different maps we played on the the standard u.s map but there are tons and tons of maps there's so oh. many expansions to this game there's so many different like combos and things that you can add into it it's pretty phenomenal i do i played this game a couple times people can get over passionate with this i actually just told the story where i went to a meetup people and, get passionate about power plants yes wow. way passionate <laughs> Kitty still has that sighing, face. <laughs> rolling her eyes. This, I went to a meetup and this guy's like, let's play Power Grid. I'm like, okay, okay fine. So this is the first time I've ever played it. And the first time I play any game, I'm just playing to discover. Right. And apparently I made a suboptimal move at the end of the game that lost him the game. Oh. Sydney won instead. And he was just, he went on for 15 minutes Salty. after the game of, why would you do that? That wasn't, a, that wasn't the right move for you to make. I'm like, I couldn't have won either way. I don't think I could have made a wrong move. I was entertained by that game because I sort of like when people get overly frustrated. Sounds, over sounds a like game. it was the wrong move for him, the move <laughs> was, that you yeah. made. It's, like, it's not a bad move for me. I like it. Right. But um yeah, people can get passionate over this wow. game. Wow. 
All right, Kitty. Just what did, what didn't you like about it? Auctions. I hate auctions. Oh, this was the auction. So when you yeah, when you so get a power a, plant. So when you get a power plant, you don't just get it. You put it up for auction. So you can't, it might not even be the one you want. You might just be trying to trick people. And so oh. there's is a that whole what you don't like about the auctions? Mechanic. Spencer is the king of just trying to like manipulate people. So he's, <laughs> he's just putting the price <laughs> up, there, even yeah. though he doesn't even want it. Oh, yeah. Um, and that wasn't so bad. But then there's this mechanic where you can only have one power plant in a city for so long, and then you can have two in a city for so long, and then you can have three by the third age. So I had this whole strategy going where I had blocked Chris from being able to build anything else. I built a second one on every border that he had. Nice. The turn before it turned into, you could build have three. three. <laughs> uh, and I thought if just for one, I only counted on it for one turn, maybe. I think I had even blocked Spencer. I had like gone through this whole blocking strategy thinking we had at least one turn where I was just going to be able to like amass a bunch of stuff and they were going to be stuck. Right. But no, so that didn't work. And I just thought it was a lot of counting. I don't like auction mechanics. I don't like any... It felt too direct player interaction for a Euro game for me. Well, the auction stuff is one of those things where you, you I can't steal it from you. I mean, technically I can, I can outbid you, but mostly it's a manipulation thing. So I get and that. I don't, like, I don't like manipulation. I don't like playing the players. I like playing the board. Yeah, right. I get that. And, and as far as like the spreadsheet aspect of it is, if I'm here and I want to build there, that's going to cost me this much money. If I go there, it's going to cost me this much money. Now I need to activate this. So I'm going to need that many resources for this and this many resources for that. Yeah. So I'm going to need See, this, this much money here. This is what really gets me about Euro games. There's so much to think about like that. This one takes it to another level. Right. And I'm fine with that. I thought it was really fun. I loved trying to calculate my routes. It felt kind of like a train game in that way where you're trying to connect your map, okay. your building. I liked that a lot. I did not like the way that you bought resources. It was limited and people could mess with each other. It felt like there was too much player interaction, too much you can mess with somebody. And it may not be what they were trying to focus on when they designed the game, but there was a lot of ability to do that. Where I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I don't need coal, but I know Chris needs coal, so I'm going to buy it because after I buy three of them, it jumps up in price for Chris. Right. So I might need it in the future, and I'll just hold on to it. That kind of thing. It, right. It just... I didn't want to play it again. Right. And it's not a bad game. It's just not my game. Yeah. Well, which is funny because, so I kind of liked it and I definitely understand why some people don't like you. It's, <laughs> I totally get it. But Terraforming Mars is also a Euro game. It, it satisfies all of the different things here. You can, you're not fighting over anything. You're essentially accumulating stuff. You're you know, re- it sounds your- like you were kind of fighting over things with Power Grid a little bit. Well, Power Grid, you can block a lot easier. Right. Like, and you and you can inadvertently block. Right. Like, I need coal. She needs coal. If I right. buy it, then I've blocked her. Yeah. And she's like, oh, now I don't have enough money to do what I want to do. So, it can feel frustration because it's so easy and to And it depends on the players, too. I guess, like, you could have a totally friendly auction where people don't try and bid up the prices. But it depends who you're playing with. Yeah. And, you know, there is just 
in an auction setting, it's competitive. That's yeah. just the way that an auction works. If you if nobody else bids for it, it's just, oh, I bought it. And if nobody ever bids against you, then it just becomes a uh, you buy the card mechanic. You know? It's almost like trade wars are a bad idea. Hmm. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Yes, yes. So speaking of terraforming Mars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to put it in contrast to this because I actually don't like terraforming Mars. I would rather play Power Grid over terraforming Mars. Many people would rather play terraforming Mars over Power Grid. Okay. Terraforming Mars also has a semi... It's it's not an auction mechanic. It's a drafting mechanic. Right. Which is interesting because in the drafting mechanic, you don't know what you're missing out on. In the auction mechanic, you do know what you're missing out on. And I think that I would rather know what I'm missing out on and be able to kind of plan around that than just get random cards and be like, oh, okay, so I guess this is my strategy because this is the cards I have. Right. And I think that's why I less favor Terraforming Mars and more power grid i feel though with terraforming mars which is not my favorite game but it's higher on the not my favorite list (laughs) power grid um i have more control though i'm getting more choices it's so when you're drafting sure you don't see what you're missing out on all the time but you do get to see more choices it's probably a, a bigger board too it's a bigger board. In Terraforming Mars, you, you can't get blocked out as easily. Power Grid's a very tight board. It's also, when you're opening up an auction, you're saying, I want this card. And sure, you might be lying, but th- at the heart of the game, you're saying, I want this card. Stop me. Yeah. All right. I see what you're doing I, there. I just don't like it that much. It wasn't, it's not a bad game. It's just not a game that after we were done, I was like, okay, I played that. All right. Now, I would be remiss if I did not bring up Catan, although Sydney warned me that I shouldn't bring up Catan because apparently there's a huge debate as to whether or not Catan's a Euro game or not. We need to talk about Catan. But we do. Because Catan, from my understanding, now this was even before I got back into modern gaming, Catan is the game that brought Euro-style games to the US. It became a almost mainstream game, as mainstream as, as board games get, especially 20 years ago when it first came over, and it's now everywhere. It had a lot of Euro elements in it. It actually has all Euro elements in it, except for one minor thing, which I'll cover in just a second. But when you compare it to something like, you know, The Game of Life or Sorry or Monopoly or Risk or all of these games where it's like Elimination, like you have to remember before Catan, like in the 80s, 90s, we would play games and you would get booted out of a Monopoly game and then you'd go play video games for a while. Except my family's favorite game, The Amazing Labyrinth. Which, we had that a long time before I ever heard of Catan. Well, it's also a German game, I believe. It is also yeah, a German also game. Also a German game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I would put it in a Euro game. Oh, it's it, it, a it Euro is. kids game. Yeah. <laughs> but but when you're playing those like the the Milton Bradley Warner Brother Warner Brothers? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> When you're playing those kind of games, like there was a ton of games where it's like, oh, I'm out. So I'm just going to go sit over here while you people still have fun, you know, and especially as a kid, I was like, eh, whatever. So you go play video games or something. This is why video games are so everywhere because you can do them by yourself. Sure. But Catan changed that. It said, okay, we're all playing till the end. There's a little bit of negotiation in there. So Monopoly had a little bit of negotiation. So if you played Monopoly, you could go to Catan and you can say, oh, I can trade you sheet for wood and I can do this. And and I, this is a comfortable thing I can do. The 
you can't really affect anything. Now you can put a road or put a city. Someone's trying to build a longest road. You put a city down and like you break the road. That's fine. You're preventing them from doing something. But once they've done it, once they have a five length road, they have a five length road. I can take your longest road card if I go longer. So there's still a little bit of being able to affect the other player. And then the robber, I'm like, okay, Kitty, you're ahead. So I'm going to put the robber on your space, which is going to allow me to take cards from you, which is where a lot of people say, it's not really a hero game because there are a little bit of more direct conflict, but it's still at that time it was. And there's no point track around the outside. And, and that's no all I care about. <laughs> there is no point track. That's true. It's true. You're just, you played a seven victory points, I think. Right. 10. But 10 yes. victory points, a number of victory points. Yep. Um, I have heard it called not a Euro game because you roll dice. But the dice are kind of the input of that, right? You're going to roll dice and something happens, and everyone can benefit from that. I don't think dice... You don't roll and move. Yeah, it's not a roll and move. Yeah, But it does have your variable board set up. You know, you have... Well, if we go down our list, there's no player elimination. There's deterministic actions. The dice happen before you take your turn. If I spend three things, something's going to happen. The only thing that's not deterministic is I want to buy a card. You know, I'm drawing the card randomly. I don't know what card I'm getting. Cards are always in Euro games, though. Right. They're always kind of the yeah. randomness. Oftentimes, they're face up, though, when you purchase them versus face down, which Catan was face down. But otherwise, I would still say it's pretty deterministic. It has a variable board set up. Every time you play, it's going to be different. Um, you're limited by an end of game trigger, which is the first person to 10 points. I think you complete the round. Yes. Um and then it's very streamlined rules. So there's a little bit of take that. But other than that, it does count in my with my very loose definition as a Euro game. And I think if you like Catan, you will probably like other Euro games unless the things you like about Catan are this trading and take that aspects. Then Euro pure, more pure Euro games may not be your style, which is why I bring it up. Just kind of a give you an idea. I remember... Spencer saying a funny thing of why he loves Catan. He was talking about the fact that, you know, you trade with people, you trade these resources and he'll like to haggle with people over like a brick. He's like, Oh, you know, I really want that brick and you really want sheep. Um, and so I've got sheep and you've got brick and they're like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And eventually he wears them down and they're like, fine, we'll, we'll swap. And he gives them the card and they give the brick over and he gives them a brick. It's actually yeah. against the rules. It is against the rules. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah I had to look it up and show him because it got too irritating for me. <laughs> <laughs> he loved that, man. He was like, because it's like, you can't be too angry because you've essentially just got the same car back again, but he likes to waste time. You can be time. pretty angry. Yeah, I imagine Now you, you understand why Kitty doesn't want to be in an auction with Spencer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's... I mean, I love having him on my side in real life in auctions type situations, sure. but I don't just fighting against yeah. him is so yeah. That's tiring. why you married him, so you are like, all right, now you're on my team. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Be the devil's side. He's a great like teammate. It. He is the world's most irritating opponent at times. <laughs> all right, let's cover a couple debates. We started Ooh, we started the Catan debate, so th- there's another one. Theme versus mechanic. And we have a couple inputs on this one. Uh, Todd actually gives a pretty good uh, summary of this. He says, I'm definitely into the mechanic side. I'm a sucker for logic puzzles and things like Sudoku and uh, Picross. I love it too. <laughs> I don't know that one. I'll you- show you on my phone when we're done. All right. 
Euros scratch that same puzzle-solving itch, but are more sociable. Also, social, socialable. Also, there are other players. I have to make backup plans if someone takes my spot and the action um, or action or last resource or whatever that we talked about. However, on the other side, I've been burnt out on theme a couple times. The game sounds awesome, but in the actual actual gameplay is quite lacking. It's gotten to the point where if someone is describing a game, the boringer it sounds, the more interesting it is. <laughs> a game about farming? Watching paint dry? Making fancy dresses? Tell me more. These are all real games. Agricola, Fresco, and Rococo, um, which I've never played Rococo. It's really a game about making dresses. I'm excited. I have to go find it. You should. Um, Whereas the cool sounding games or games based on your favorite movie or video game tend to be very lackluster. Now, this is really that theme versus mechanic. It's the Euro versus American style games, that kind of thing. And and I think it's interesting because some people are like, I'm not going to play a game about making dresses. I don't care how good it is. I'm just not going to do it. Which takes out an entire thing. Like, I, Kitty, I've mentioned many times, you know, when we go to conventions and you look at games that have completely different artwork than I would. Yeah. We find way more games that we both enjoy playing because I would never pick up a spacey or fantasy themed game. But, you know, I see the game with medieval art on the box and I'm like, ooh. And we all like playing tournaments at Candle exactly. Camelot. Yeah. So that that makes sense, and then Steve Steve actually goes with the uh, Euro versus Ameritrash, 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 depending on want to be PC or not. Um, he <laughs> says we need to come up with a scale of how random a game is, like weight scale on BGG, which is basically just a measure of how complex it is. Um, drop the Euro and American categories; they've become less and less applicable. And yeah, I do agree with that. I agree with that. So, and really the whole point of this episode is not necessarily to say Euro games are better than this or blah, 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 or this is what a Euro game is. It's really just to highlight some of the elements that are in games that people refer to as Euro games. If you like those elements, then it's a great category to talk about because as soon as you say it, you'll have people that's like, oh, this is my favorite one, or I like this, or I like that. And if you don't like those elements, then you can legitimately say, I don't like Euro games. You know, I have a really good friend. She's like, I don't like any game with a point track. I know that can't be true, but she rules it out as something. And that's not necessarily true. I did get her to play Great Western Trail, which does have a point track. And she pretended to like it. So thank you, Sarah. Um, which Great Western Trail is also a Euro game in pretty much all senses of the word, I think. I feel like sometimes you have to create arbitrary rules like that because there's just so many games out there and you have to find ones that you're more likely to enjoy. And if that's a rule that makes it so, oh, normally I don't like those games. So sure, maybe I'll try one once in a while, but you know, it's easy. You have to wade through so many games to find ones that you like sometimes that... Well, Josh, is fine. Yeah. Well, Josh, you asked me before the show if Scythe was a Euro game. Yeah, I did. And I just said, no. Right. But it, it's, but it is in it its own way. It felt like one when I played it. Yeah. I don't know much about the where the boundaries are and where the definitions are, but it yeah. felt like one to me. Well, so here's the interesting thing about Scythe. Go ahead, Kitty. I was just going to say, it might not be a Euro game, but it's definitely not an Amerithrash game. It's yes. like it lives in an in-between space. And that's, yeah. I think, what... Steve was saying was there that now those barriers are breaking down where it's, it's more of a sliding scale than it is one or the other. And I would say that, you know, at the beginning I told you, no, it wasn't, but now I would say if Katana is a Euro game and I feel it is just simply because 
of what it did to bring Euro games to the US. Scythe is a Euro game. The only thing about Scythe that made me cancel, make me think it's not a Euro game, is the fact that you can attack other players. But two things happen when you attack other players. One, you just send their troops back home. They don't get eliminated. They're not removed from the board. You've done, you don't set them back besides their positioning. Two, the resources that were at that spot, you get to use if you want to use them. So that is really the only interaction there. It's kind of like the robber in Catan, where it's like, okay, right. I can steal some resources if I go here. Right. And honestly, if I attack you and I push back some of your workers, I lose popularity in the process. Right. You know, and and you gain popularity out of that. So it's like it's sort of a a lose lose win lose. I guess a win lose would be like war but you get my point right oh yeah i mean the americans didn't do uh, i mean the germans didn't do very well out of attacking everyone in world war ii so i totally get you uh, all right let's see then uh, we're done basically except for all this outro stuff yeah so you can follow us on facebook at tabletop game talk podcast or you can follow us at twitter at tabletop game tlk kitty is lawful good mom Josh is Josh's Bond. I am Game Master Chris. Please leave us iTunes reviews because this is going to be a new channel pretty quick and it's going to have zero reviews and it's going to make us look all lame and sad. And you're going to make <laughs> me pay for those too, aren't you? I know you guys are. Um, if you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon. That's at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. And oh, Josh is going to say the same thing I just said, but this is going to be continuous text. So don't feel like you're repeating me. It's great. Tabletop team game. <laughs> Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at table.gametalk.com, and you'll be entered into a $25 gift card drawing on our next feedback episode. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Emil Jiljam, George, Adam Harrison, Corey Bell, the SGC, Sam from New York, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Steve Seitz, Michael Ohl, Trevor Olson, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, Daniel Shepard, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Huang. Stefan Bloody Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, Carl Hammond, David Radke, Lance Morgan, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Swartzwell, Jordan Livingston, Greg Kamai, Zoe Ng, Chad Covey, Ann Reynolds, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dog, Christopher Vincent, Nate, Faz Flintham's, Sean Peck, Toby Craft, Eric Salander, Adam Cribbles, this is hard. Mike Smith, Christina Meyer, Trevor, Trevor Davis, Wesley Taylor, Tim Vernig, and Chris Lowe. And until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right. That's... Episode 1 or 101, depending on how you count it. It's 100 or 1. 100 or 1. And next week, are we going to go and like invade Poland? We're no... <laughs> we really got to get you off this German thing. <laughs>